Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hello, everybody. Hi, podcast listeners. I'm back. Uh, So Christopher is back with us this week. For the first time in the history of this podcast, (laughs) I missed an episode. You did. Bless you. But I hear it went really well with Jen. Yes. I haven't listened to it yet. I really want to listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. It was a wonderful thing to be in the studio with Jen. She's a beautiful friend and joint minister in this yeah, ministry. She's, and she's a wise woman. She has yes. good things to share from a deep heart, uh, a virgin bride of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Yeah. She is. And I was gone because, strange experience last week, I had, as you know well, Wendy, I had done eight events, made for more events, in th- eight different events. <laughs> no, I had done three, got it mixed up, three different Made for more events in eight days. That's right. the number eight, not eight events. No, three I was events. thinking, wow, eight <laughs> events. When was this? I had done three <laughs> made for more events in eight days, which is intense. Three different cities, travel, hotels, setting up, breakdown, major outpouring of my mind, heart, body, soul, which I love to do, but I was ready. I was really ready. For a rest. For a rest. Uh, when I do an intense tour like that, I need about five days of recovery. And then I learned when you and I were driving to that third event, to that third event in Connecticut, right? that Bill Donahue, who was scheduled to teach at TOB1 starting on Sunday, and this was Friday, tested positive for COVID. Right. And we had 70 students showing up at Black Rock Retreat Center. And guess who had to teach TOB1 last week? Well, I love to teach. (laughs) However, I was in need of rest. And teaching at TOB1 is one of the most intense outpourings of the year for me, teaching those intensive courses, which I love to do, but they are major outpourings. So I am just now coming out of hibernation from like a five-day recovery after those three major events and then a five-day course. Um, It was a great course, though. Such graces were flowing. Lives were changed. Uh, We met a student named Eric who told us both separately. Yes. We both met him separately. That he he thanked us for answering his question on our podcast. So Eric, many episodes ago, we answered his question, but then there was a funny component to that, which is that (laughs) apparently I accidentally read his question on two different podcasts, and we and answered it we twice. We answered it twice, <laughs> and he said he said he was grateful because we gave a, a different um, twist to our answer in the second in the second episode that we answered. I th- and I said, "Do you remember what episodes they were?" And he said, "Yeah, the first time was like episode sixty-two or sixty-four. It was in the sixties, and then the next episode was like eighty-two or eighty-four in the eighties somewhere." So 20 episodes later, I don't know how that happened, but there it did. It yeah, happened. That was funny, fun, a little embarrassing, but I do want to add something, which is that um, Bill Dunahy and his family are doing yes. really well. And yes. I think I should, I should have said that yes, right away. Yes, um, he certainly was offering up his 
suffering for your students and it was very graceful. Yeah, I felt a deep communion with Bill. He he was part of that class, even mm. though he wasn't in the classroom at all. His sufferings offered up for the students. They were bearing graces. There's no yeah. doubt about it. Yeah. Is there anything that you'd want to share with our listeners about the Institute right now? Yes, there are some very exciting things on the horizon. We are getting down to the final chance to register for our pilgrimage in December to Mexico City to visit Our Lady of Guadalupe. Our Lady of Guadalupe, the Tilma. If you don't know this, check out, you can go to YouTube and just type in Christopher West Guadalupe. And there was a video I did some years ago explaining the symbols hidden in the Tilma. And that's just a 45-minute video, just a little dip of the toe into the mystery of the Tilma. We're going to spend four days unpacking the hidden mysteries of the Tilma. If, you want to, if you've wanted to go on pilgrimage with us and haven't been able to in the past, and you're feeling that little nudge that maybe you're supposed to go on this pilgrimage, it's close to the final countdown here for registering for our pilgrimage December 2nd to the 7th. There'll be a link in the show notes that you can click to learn more. We would love to have you join us. We also have a pre-order uh, that's live right now for a book that's coming out very soon, which is a retreat given by Carol Wojtyla, uh 20-something years before he became Pope John Paul II. No, f- wait, 62, not 20-something years, 15 years. 15, 16 years. I don't know. Math isn't important. It was in 1962 uh, that he gave a retreat to artists, and it's being published by the TOB Institute for the first time in the English language. We got special permission from the Vatican to do that. It'll be out very soon. Pre-orders. You can make yours now. You can check that out in the show notes as well. Yeah. We're very excited about that. It is very exciting. This retreat is beautiful. And it's not only for artists. It was delivered to artists, but as John Paul II says, every human being is called to make a work of art out of his own life. Mm. And this retreat can really help us do that. We are to make our lives a work of art. Isn't that awesome? It's the same thing as growing in holiness. We are to make our lives uh, beautiful. And to grow in true beauty is to grow in holiness, to become a saint. And that's what this retreat is all about. Shall I start with some questions? Let's do it. Our first question is from a patron. As always. His name is Alejandro. Hello, Alejandro. Thank you for your monthly support of this mission. We're so grateful to you. Can't do it without people like you. If anybody out there would like to get a better chance of having your question answered, you can become part of our patron community. Check out the link. All right, here we go. Alejandro says, Dear Christopher and Wendy, God bless you. Thank you, Alejandro. I'm writing to you from Colombia in South America. My wife, Marta, and I proudly belong to the first TOB1 online class. Oh, beautiful. What a blessing for our Christian and married life. We've already registered for the coming TOB1 online course in October, so that's actually going on right now. I, I, yeah, uh, yeah, they're taking it again? Is that yes, what you're... as a refresher. Oh, mm-hmm. pretty cool. This beautiful truth about what it means to be human and how to live our lives in a way that we experience true happiness is what our spirits and our hearts need to hear. Now to my question. Marta and I have been married over 26 years, and since the beginning of our marriage, we used NFP. We have two children, ages 24 and 23. We also had a loss 22 years ago. 
And after that, Marta's womb needed to be removed for health reasons. Since in our marital embrace we have no more the ability to give life, how can we be sure every time we are together that we still have full communion with the Trinity, that we're not putting aside the Holy Spirit, the giver of life? Thank you, Alejandro. This is a really important question, and I'm so happy to address it. You are you are absolutely, uh, I can feel it in your heart, in your question, you're absolutely right about desiring the Holy Spirit to be part of your union. And let me just back up a little bit and talk about the moral principles involved here for our listeners, and then I'll address more specifically what it seems is, is on your heart. So the moral principle is this. It sounds like, uh, we don't have all the details here, but it sounds like there may have been some uh, malady or disease of the uterus that Marta's uterus needed to be removed because to retain it was a risk to her life. Now, let me make a, an important qualification and clarification here. One cannot remove the uterus with an intent to sterilize, right? If it was the uterus was removed because the doctor said, you can't get pregnant again, I'm going to remove your uterus. Well, that that's not a legitimate removal of the uterus. That's a contraceptive act. That's an act of sterilization. But if there is a diseased uterus and that uterus was removed because to keep it would have caused the death or severe health problems of the woman, then obviously she's the end result is she's going to be sterile but that need not be an intended effect, right? The immorality is in the will. If one is intending an act of sterilization with the removal of a diseased uterus, then this is akin to sterilization. It is a sterilization. However, if one is enduring the evil, the, the, the physical evil, here we have to distinguish between physical evil and moral evil, right? If, if I lose my arm in an accident, there's no moral evil involved, but there's a physical evil involved because I'm missing my arm. That's what we call a physical evil, right? A, a physical evil can be endured for a greater good. There's a physical evil that you, you are unable to conceive. Uh, there's not a moral evil so long as your will is not desiring that sterility. Those are the moral issues involved. It sounds very clear to me, Alejandro, that you and Marta, having practiced NFP from the start of your marriage, desired to live the fullness of the truth in your marital embrace. And I'm, I can imagine reading into this question that the removal of the uterus was a sadness. There was a, a loss that you had to uh, accept there. That is the right disposition. So there is no moral evil involved whatsoever because your will is not involved in the resulting sterility from the removal of the diseased uterus, which means because there is no moral evil whatsoever, there is an open channel in both of your hearts for the Holy Spirit to live and move and have his way with you. So I, I say this often to couples who are unable to conceive and long to have children. Do not consider yourself sterile. Because if you are surrendering your bodies to each other, and in doing so are surrendering also to the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit, who is the Lord and giver of life, is part of that act. And there is a spiritual fertility 
that goes out from that act that is reaching lives, only the Lord knows how, in what ways, but it is reaching lives and it is opening doors to people entering the kingdom. This is what scripture is talking about when it says, more are the children of the barren woman than of she who bore children. Right? There is a spiritual kind of fecundity. It's the fecundity that happened on the marriage bed of the cross. When Christ the bridegroom says to his bride, woman, behold your son. Right? Mary here is symbolically the bride. The catechism says it. Mary goes before us all in the mystery of the church as the bride. Right? We don't have to get weird or funky about it. In the flesh, she's always his mother, but in the spirit, she's the bride of Christ. She's the symbol of the church. She's the new Eve. And the fecundity is a spiritual fecundity. It's a spiritual union and a spiritual fecundity. Woman, behold your son. The beloved disciple is the mystical offspring of the mystical marriage of Christ and the church consummated at the cross. You, Alejandro and Marta, uniting your union with Christ's self-giving on the cross and Mary's yes to it, open to the Holy Spirit, you guys are spiritually fertile. Rejoice in it on the other side in the eternal marriage of the Lamb. You will meet your spiritual children and they will come to you and say, thank you, thank you. We are in heaven because of the supernatural fertility of your marriage. It's real. It's real. This is our faith. We can bank on it. This is this is the truth. I hope it blesses you. Just And, and you may, I, I would suggest you may want to, just to make this more concrete, you may want to vocally invite the Holy Spirit. Say, come Holy Spirit. We want you to be part of our union. Mm -hmm. We want you, Lord and giver of life, to bear life through our embrace, however you desire. What are your thoughts, Wendy? Yeah, I absolutely agree with all your sharing. I was remembering a time uh, and it's not often that in my prayer life I feel like I hear from the Lord, but I I remember a time when I was kind of surprised that I felt like the Lord was saying to me, I desire a deeper bond between you and Christopher. And I, That would be I. I am he. I am the one who's privileged to be your husband. I love it. <laughs> I was surprised because I kind of thought we had a deep bond, <laughs> but even though it was surprising, it also was like meaningful, like, like, like God, you really care about our marriage. You mm. really care about how deep our bond is. You really mm. notice if our bond isn't as deep as it could be. And so that I experienced as like a, a prompting of the Holy Spirit in my prayer life. And I, I just wonder if, if just recognizing that that is the work of the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. an important work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of married couples, that deepening of the bond, which, you know, can happen um, very gradually. It can come about, you know, a great deepening through a special work of grace. But in either case, whether it's very gradual or, you know, a great increase, it's always the Holy Spirit at work. Um, and so I, I don't know, I just think of that as an example of the, the beauty of our openness in our sacrament, in our bond to the work of the Holy Spirit, to God's will for us Amen. in our marriage. Amen. And it is the Holy Spirit who is our bond. Yeah. That's a profound thing to ponder. 
the very bond of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is the bond of married love, which means the bond can always go deeper mm. because the bond is the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is infinite. You can never say our marriage bond is as deep as it can go. It, it can go deeper and deeper. And that's one of the beautiful graces of the marital embrace, to invite the Holy Spirit to deepen your bond. Yes. Our next question is from a listener named Chris. Hello, Chris. Chris says, our oldest son, who is 26, has recently admitted he struggles with depression. He lives in another state, so we don't get to see each other very often, but we do talk regularly. He's not practicing his Catholic faith, and he has deep father wounds. My husband, in the last few years, has been actively dealing with his porn addiction and his own mm. father wounds, mm. and has come very far in his recovery journey. Mm. This has helped our marriage immensely. Praise God. But the fallout has been with our seven children. They all have been affected to varying degrees by their father's very rigid and sometimes harsh behavior while growing up. Can you recommend some suggestions for helping our oldest son deal with his issues? Wow. Wow. I, I can relate to the father wounds. I have my own father wounds. Um, and I know that I've passed on wounds to my own children. This is part of being a fallen human being. Uh, I'm, I'm dealing on an ongoing way with my own wounds from my father and the wounds I've passed on to my children. So it's, it's familiar territory. It sounds, from what you're asking, Chris, or what you've stated in your question, it sounds that there are many signs of hope. It sounds like there is a great work of grace already underway. I would just invite you, Chris, to trust that the Lord will bring to completion the work he has begun in your husband, in you, in your marriage, and this will spill over to your children. Um, you said your son is not practicing his faith, so that's that kind of, I, I don't know if there's a closed door there, would he be open to a faith-based approach to looking at those wounds? If he is, I would strongly recommend the work of the John Paul II Healing Center mm. in Florida, Tallahassee, Florida, was where they're based. It's run by Dr. Bob Schutz, a dear friend and brother of mine, whom I trust. He does deep work bringing healing to people with wounds of all kinds. Father wounds are certainly something he's very, very familiar with himself. And uh, I, I know many people, myself included, who have benefited greatly uh, under Bob's care. If your son might be open, uh, I would encourage him to consider coming to a course that we're going to be offering at the end of January 2022 I would recommend this also for you, Chris, and your husband. Uh, if Even if your son isn't able to go, I would strongly urge you and your husband to come if you're at all able. We are teaming up with the Desert Stream Ministries to offer their Living Waters Training Program, which is an immersion in an approach to inner healing that we all need 
every, there's no human being on the planet who's not in need of inner healing because we're all fallen. And this kind of inner healing is healing from the impact of living in a fallen world and dealing with our fallenness and other people's fallenness, particularly in our relationships. We are calling this course Sexual Integrity and Redemption. Uh, I would urge you to click the link below to learn more about that and consider coming. If you're not able to come, I would brush up on what Desert Stream Ministries offers. We'll have their website in the show notes as well. Get to know the work of Andrew Kamiski. Get to know the work of Dr. Bob Schutz. Uh, get to know the work of Dr. Greg Popcheck. And uh, his he has a whole team of counselors. That might be an avenue to go down as well. We, we typically have in our show notes a list of people we trust that we recommend you turn to, take advantage of them, uh, read their books, look up their resources. As we always say, as a caveat in our show, we are not counselors. That's not our expertise. So uh, we, we always want to be able, however, to, to recommend counselors that we trust. So I'd, I'd urge you to look at the show notes. Wendy, what are your thoughts here? Like you said at the start of your answer, Christopher, I'm struck by the grace that's at work and how hopeful, you know, it is painful to see our children suffering and to have regrets about um, things that have gone on in our relationship as parents and in our with one another and with our children. And yet it's almost unavoidable that, you know, that we wouldn't have regrets. Right. And so the hopefulness of the changes going on, you know, in their father, it's not, you know, um, an automatic thing that when that healing takes place, that somehow magically all their issues are gone. And that can be a painful part of the journey for the father who's eager to now start again. Let's, yes, yes. Let's relate in a new way. And maybe the wounds kind of have created walls and difficulties there. So I know that that can be painful, and yet you're coming to it at a mature stage of life where you can trust God has seized the long view and is doing something beautiful. What you mentioned about our lives becoming a work of art earlier, yeah. I see that in this, in this question. And um, I really want to lift up that oldest son in prayer that um that he would experience grace in this time of suffering that would sometimes they say you know being at a low place is a a place where we can open ourselves up i know you and i have both experienced that in our lives where when being very low has been what impelled us to cry out to yes, the Lord at different yes. times. So we can certainly pray that that will be true for this son. I'd also encourage you, Chris, and your husband to recognize, and this is this is just the economy of grace. It's how grace works. The best thing that we as parents can do for the healing of our children is to pursue our own healing. There is a ripple effect of grace up and down the generations when we pursue our own healing. My father and I recently, just recognizing this is generational stuff, um, my father and I have recently committed to saying a prayer together when we're able, but individually, which 
he and I wrote together where we are praying for our ancestors and we we list all the names of our ancestors that we know and that only goes back to my great grandfather we don't know anything any names prior to that but we list our forefathers we list the current generations and we list the generations that came after us and we 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 say specifically uh, lamb of god you take away the sins of the world have mercy on all of our ancestors and then we go through have mercy on my great-grandfather Nathan, have have mercy on my grandfather Guard, have mercy on my uncle Guard, have mercy on my father Soren, have mercy on my brother Soren, have mercy on me. And then we go to the next generation, my brothers and my children. We go down the generations asking for mercy, and then we say, Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world, grant our ancestors peace. And then we go through the list of all the names again, grant this person peace, grant that person peace, grant that person peace. And it's been a, a, a source of, of real hopeful prayer, uh, opening our bloodline to the grace of the Holy Spirit to heal up and down the generations. It sounds to me with the porn addiction and other things and the, the just the nature of the wounds that got, got passed on, that these are wounds that got passed on to your husband from, from his father, probably, or grandfather, or somewhere in the, in the family line. And, and generational prayer, prayer for the generations, is very effective. As we pursue our own healing, there is an effect of grace up and down the generations. So take heart, my dear sister. A great work of grace has already begun, and the Lord will bring it to completion. Our next question is from an anonymous listener. She says, hello, Christopher and Wendy. My fiancé and I have been growing more and more in love with the theology of the body, both through this podcast and our own personal reading. I come from a background that looks very negatively on sex, and so I've always lived on the, quote, starvation diet, believing that I was practicing chastity. My fiancé, on the other hand, has struggled with porn for much of his life. Praise be to God. He has found freedom in that area within the last year after a four-year-long fight against it. Wow. However, after being on that fast food diet for so long, he's gone to the other extreme in order to avoid the temptations that could arise. My question then is this, how can we both overcome our intense fears of lust and set our desires free in order to partake in mm. the banquet? Mm. I don't ever want to put myself in a position where I could hurt him through lust. How can we overcome this obstacle? Praise God that you're asking this question. And again, I, I'll, I'll say what I said to our last questioner. A great work of grace is underway, mm -hmm. and the Lord will bring to completion the work he has begun in you. I'll, I'll share a quote from an Eastern Orthodox theologian I've come to uh, respect a great deal. His name's Dr. Timothy Patitsis, P-A-T-I-T-S-A-S, mm -hmm. Dr. Timothy Patitsis. And he says this, bad Eros can only be cured by good Eros, and much of it. So <laughs> this is the challenge. We overcome evil with good. We overcome evil not just by squashing out the evil, right? We, we leave a void then. We overcome evil with good. Bad Eros can only be overcome with good Eros and much 
of it. So how do you foster good eros? First of all, I think it's really important that we recognize eros, obviously it is inclusive of the sexual desire, the sexual appetite, but it's not limited to that. Eros in the traditional sense of the word is the desire for all that is true, good, and beautiful. So I would encourage you, is it a fiance, did she say? Mm -hmm. I would encourage you and your fiance together to pursue the true, the good, and the beautiful. And here are just some thoughts, some suggestions off the top of my head. What what are you desiring together in the realm of truth? Right? Clearly, you want the truth of your love for one another. That's evident in your question. You desire that truth. You desire love that is true. You desire love that is fair. You desire love that is good. You desire love that is beautiful. And you already are pursuing that. But let's let's expand it beyond that. Like, uh, what what topics are you interested in? Are you interested in science? Are you interested in uh, I don't know? Are you are you coffee buffs? Are you wine buffs? Are you are you into quilting? Are you uh, do you love nature? Uh, pursue the true, the good, and the beautiful in all things, and take up things that you you can pursue together in that regard. Um, something you and I love, Wendy, that is. If you think of it, it's really a, pers- a common pursuit of Eros. We love good movies. Mm-hmm. We love to watch good uh, miniseries. We love to watch good stories. We love to, to, to pursue art that is enriching to us. That is, that is Eros. That's a common pursuit of good Eros. We need good art. We need good music. We need to avail ourselves to the beauty of nature. We need to pursue our our passions and our interests, not to the neglect of responsibilities, but we have a responsibility also to feed the hungers of our hearts with the true, the good, and the beautiful. I'd recommend that just in a general sense. And before you continue, I just want to say that I think part of your instinct to point this out to this couple is that when we are operating under a kind of repression toward our sexual desires that can often extends into other areas of interest and desire and, and a holy passion because we're in that mode of just kind of stifle restraint, restraint, suspicion towards it. Yes. So I think that you've learned through experience and are sharing with this couple, that sense of like, you need to like take a deep breath, yes, yes, fill your lungs, yes. and as you do that, recognize like there's a lot of desire and interest that God has placed in you that He wants you to express and become comfortable in that yes. realm and recognize His blessings, yes, in all these ways. Amen, Wendy. You're putting your finger right on it. Uh, and, and here's something I, I, I'm sure I've said many times on this podcast, but it bears repeating, and I, I share it with my students all the time. So important that we understand the devil doesn't have his own clay. All he can do is take God's clay, God's beautiful, good clay, and twist it up. That means redemption comes not by throwing the twisted clay away, but by allowing the Lord to untwist it. 
And guess what? That means the journey is going to be messy. I, I hear your heart in this question saying, I don't want to hurt my fiancé with lust. And praise God, uh, that's an awesome, awesome sentiment and desire of your heart. However, I'm going to tell you this. It may sound counterintuitive, but it's just true. It's true about the journey of growing in holiness. It is better to get out of the boat and sink than never to get out of the boat. Right? And and that fear when 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 our I don't want to hurt my my fiance with lust, when that's motivated by a fear, then we're we can we can there's the danger that we stay in the boat. Because I'm afraid I'm going to sink. If I get out of the boat, I'm afraid I'm going to sink, so I'm just going to stay in the boat. Well, you're never going to learn to love either, right? The, the drama of the Christian life, the beauty of the Christian life, the joy of the Christian life, the freedom of the Christian life, the virtue of the Christian life is not in the safety of the boat. It is out amidst the wind and the waves with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Let's just press into that story. What did Jesus say to Peter when he got out of the boat and he sank? Did he say, Peter, what the heck are you doing out here? Get your butt back in that boat. <laughs> he, said, he said, rather, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? If we keep our eyes on Jesus, if we just apply the story to our own lives, what are, what are we to learn? If we keep our eyes on Jesus, we can do what is impossible. I want to encourage this woman and her fiancé to listen to the voice of the Lord calling you out of the boat, right? And, and one of our biggest sins, I know one of my biggest sins, one of our biggest sins can be self-reliance. When we are relying on ourselves and we assess what we're capable of, well, I'm not capable of walking on water. I'm just going to stay in the boat. Well, that's true. You're not capable of walking on water. But with your eyes set on the Lord, you are capable of doing far more than you think or imagine. There is a power at work in you, says St. Paul. The power of redemption that is at, is at work in you is capable of doing far more than you think or imagine. Remember, Wendy, when we were engaged and we were, we were in a time of, like, what are the proper boundaries with chastity? We... we really like sincerely wanted to be chased yes. and in our affection for one another we we found ourselves kind of like putting up barriers and saying don't kiss me longer than that because you know why it's just too much and and i felt there was a wall going up between us and i remember a real freedom that came when i realized wait a minute what what am i saying when i'm putting this wall up i'm saying wendy i, I don't really trust you to choose what's good for me and I remember saying to you, Wendy, I do trust you to choose what's good for me. I'm bringing this wall down. And I remember saying, do with me what you will, Wendy, mm. because I believe that what you will is to choose my good. I don't need to put some barrier between us so that you don't violate me. I trust you. I believe you desire my good. Uh, and, and that was a, a, a new step for us in our, in our relating uh, chastely. And let me just also say this, that it's not like, oh, once you get married, you don't have to worry about this stuff. Uh, marriage is a call to chastity, to, to, to pure eros, 
to holy eros. Mar- marriage is not a, le- a legitimization of following your, your your disordered passions. It's a call to holiness. So if if a if a cup put it this way, if a couple can't be alone together before they get married and not sin, there's no magic trick that suddenly makes what they're doing on the wedding night holy. If a couple, an engaged couple, that's what we're talking about, if an engaged couple can't express freely and beautifully and tenderly physical affection for one another that is proper to the state of their relationship and is not, you know, marital affection, but recognizes we are preparing for marriage. Uh, that that calls uh, that that allows or affords for a certain closeness and intimacy, uh, and a, a physical affection even that a, a dating couple wouldn't wouldn't be appropriate for. Um, so even times of extended embracing and kissing shouldn't be an occasion of sin. It should be an occasion of grace, an occasion of growing and deepened trust. But here you. Again, you have to get out of the boat with your eyes fixed on Christ. We overcome bad arrows with good arrows and plenty of it. So pray for the transformation of your arrows. And we know this from our own experience. In those attempts, in those desires to get out of the boat and love, because we're not perfect, we made mistakes, and we still make mistakes. And guess what? Mercy is real. So another sin I know I've had to repent of is perfectionism in all of this. Mm-hmm. And that's not to give license to screw up intentionally. That's not my point. It, my point is this. We're called to get out of the boat. And if you get out of the boat, there's a chance you're going to sink. But if your eyes are fixed on Christ, you can walk on water. If you do sink, the Lord will call you back to faith. Mercy is real better to get out of the boat and sink than never get out of the boat. A thing that struck me in this question was um, how she named kind of two different ways of not really understanding the true meaning of the marital embrace and our sexuality. And it just struck me what you just said about overcoming bad arrows with good arrows, that um, for each of them to look back at in the past what the kind of message about sexuality that they were yes, believing. Yes, yes, um, so Which is apparently in some ways very different, and yet the negativity that the woman received is very related yes. to the message that the man was believing in that it's almost kind of the same lie, only on one side, this is what, you know, sex is all about, pleasure, pleasure and selfishness, and indulge it, or sex is all about pleasure and selfishness, so avoid it. In right, either case, right. it's, it's, it's a yep. false Good point, a, Wendy. You know, view. But, but what is the true view? You know, what is the true view that the Lord has given us this ability to be gift to one another? Woo! Preach it! And that may be the the kind of good arrows specific to that physical union that we need to reflect on. Yes. The opportunity, the power to become a gift. 
And to as we take that in deeper, because when you're preparing for marriage, you're preparing for a genuine, beautiful gift in your marital embrace. As you come to understand more about the physical reality and your relationship with one another and your ability to communicate, ability to express yourselves physically, as you were talking about, that that it all needs to be informed by that um, vision, which is the creator of it all, has yes. created it to be gift for one another, gift to one another. I'll add this. I, I get into some very specific questions here for dating and engaged couples and married couples, of course, in my book, Good News About Sex and Marriage. And I would recommend that this engaged couple uh, read this book together. Or, or maybe what I sometimes recommend is read 10 pages a week, maybe, uh, separately, and then get together in a private, quiet place and talk about what you're learning. I do a deep dive in that book into the redemption of sexual desire, which is very, very different than the repression of sexual mm -hmm. desire. And I think walking through that book together will give you uh, a vision for where this can go and how to replace bad arrows with good arrows and plenty of it. There, there's no better program that I know of for really entering in than, than a deep dive into John Paul II's Theology of the Body. You may want to consider uh, either online or in person taking the TOB1 course together. It would be some of the greatest marriage prep you could give yourselves. So check out our course schedule below to learn more about that. And I, I hope you know it in your bones. And I hope all of our listeners know it in your bones. That really and truly, as Wendy said, you are a gift for one another. God is calling you to the sacrament to become a gift, an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift of life and love. That's who and what each and every one of us truly are. Truly is, truly are. <laughs> what did I say? Was it a plural? <laughs> each and every one, it's a singular. Truly is. Truly is. <laughs> Become what you are. Become what you is. <laughs> <laughs> Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute, with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.